you, you've heard me say, church, how grateful I am, and I know you are, for technology, for the fact that God has gifted us with um, the amazing technology that we have to be able to connect with each other virtually, uh, digitally, electronically, and there's there seems to be no end to the the resources that we have technologically to be able to do things like we're doing right now. And I hope and and, and our goal, our our purpose in this is to is to try to maintain that connection, that heart connection that we have with each other, and hopefully create new connections with new people. And you've heard me talk about how great technology is, but you've also heard me say that if you feel a connection, if you're, if you're signed on right now and you have experienced a connection with the people who are watching with you, if you've experienced a connection with our, our family and a connection as you, as you sing and, and sing along with the songs and worship in your home, that's not because of technology. That connection is not because of technology. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is the only one who connects our hearts. Technology doesn't do that, but God does. And specifically, he does that through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit takes the connections that we can create with our knowledge as best we can in our technology. He takes that connection and then he can use it to connect our hearts together. And I hope that's what you're experiencing and even right now as we're meeting together. Um, I certainly have experienced that over the past several weeks. I, I really experienced it on Good Friday. That was just a beautiful uh, time that we got to share together. And it, and it ministered to me uh, in ways I, I can't even put into words. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that too. You've told us, you've, you've told us how much uh, this means to you and we're grateful for that. So the more I've experienced it and the more I've seen other people experience that, that heart connection, and we know that that comes from the Holy Spirit, I, I really felt impressed to the Lord to uh, do a sermon series that was centered around the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we're going to do that for the next several weeks. We're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, and we're going to talk about what he does and what does he, how he works in the hearts of believers and how he works in the world all around us. So um, let, let's just start right at, at the beginning with a basic doctrine of Christianity, and it is this. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, the triune God, one God in three persons. Now, this is a, a core biblical doctrine that we believe as Christians, but it is also one of the most difficult things to wrap our minds around. Your brain will hurt <laughs> if you try to fathom and understand with your own mind how the Trinity works, how God can be one, one unified God, but yet at the same time he can be three distinct persons, yet one in unity, one in power, one in divinity. Um, and, and how that works with our, with our brain, that's hard to figure out. It's one of those doctrines and one of those aspects of God that can really only be embraced through faith, not human logic. And we talked about that a little bit in our last sermon series. 
but no matter how hard we try to explain it or understand it, uh, sometimes uh, folks have tried to come up with analogies for how the Holy Spirit uh, and the Father and the Son work together and how they're, um, how they're co-equal but yet distinct. And um, th there's all sorts of analogies that people have tried to come up with that compare the Trinity to water. They compare the Trinity to, to lots of different things. But all of those analogies all fall short. There's some kind of flaw in each one of those analogies because none of them can fully describe what we believe the scripture teaches. Um, there is only one living and true God. And the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without any division in his nature, in his essence, or in his being. And you say, how does that work? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, but that's what we believe. And it's something that can only be embraced through faith. And of those three persons of the Trinity, I think the Holy Spirit is probably the least understood and the least talked about. And, and that's kind of ironic, especially as Baptists. We, we don't necessarily talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. Uh, and it's really ironic because um, when you think about your life as a believer right now, uh, none of us have ever seen God the Father with our eyes. Um, and, and the greatest tangible representation of God that, that anybody on earth has ever experienced is the person of Jesus. As he, as he lived and walked on this earth. But for us, we've never seen Jesus either. We didn't live in that time period of history where Jesus was alive, so we didn't get to, to see him. The Holy Spirit is the person of God that we encounter, and we, we experience and encounter him on a daily basis. He is a part of every aspect of our experience with God. But yet, of the three persons of the Trinity, he's probably the one that we focus on the least. Without the Holy Spirit, we would never be able to experience the reality of, of who God is. We would never be able to have a relationship with him. And we would never be able to see the activity of God's presence in the world without the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it possible for a few people who lived in a small part of history to experience the invisible God in a tangible way. But all we have of Jesus is history. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't uh, hear his voice with our ears. We can't listen to him speak. But, but the Holy Spirit for us is who makes it possible for us to see the invisible God. And so I want us to start with this point. Uh, you guys know that from time to time I give you points that I want you to remember. And this is, this is the big point for this morning, okay? The Holy Spirit makes it possible to experience the infinity of God in the intimacy of a relationship. Now, it, just stop for a second and think about that. What a miracle that is. Infinite creator, 
God of the universe. And we are able to experience him in, a, in an intimate way. Infinity becomes infinite. Um, become, uh, the infinity, I'm sorry, becomes intimate for us as Christians. And it's because of the Holy Spirit, that person of the Trinity. He is the one who takes the infinity of God and turns it into intimacy with us in a relationship. So that's why we're calling this series God in You. And, and I want us to just introduce this series this morning by looking at a passage of scripture in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to John, chapter 14. And we're going to read uh, and look at um, some promises that Jesus made to the disciples um, as he was preparing them for what was going to come, what we've just spent uh, time focusing on the the end of his ministry, the the passion, the death, um, and the resurrection and the ascension. Jesus is already in John 14 trying to prepare them for what's going to happen. So I want us to look. We're going to we're going to focus on three verses this morning. John chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. So if you look at verse 15 with me, um, here's what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, there is so much that we can learn from these verses uh, this morning. And, and this is going to be a great introduction for us. Jesus knows at this point that the cross is coming. He knows that his journey is about to take him to the cross. He knows that he's going to die. He's going to be buried. He knows that part of the plan is the resurrection. And he knows eventually after he has risen from the dead, he's going to, to be with them for another short time. And then he's going to ascend to the Father. And he knows that he's no longer going to be with them. And they have not experienced life. with Since they met Jesus, they've not experienced life without Jesus. And they don't realize at this point that he's not going to be around all the time. They, they are imagining him um, as that earthly Messiah, that he's going to come and set up his kingdom and he's going to reign forever and he's going to be here forever. And Jesus knows that's not going to happen. And so he's, he's preparing them for this separation that's going to occur between him and them. And he's trying to help them understand that when he leaves them, He's not going to be leaving them. And that sounds like a contradiction, but it's completely not. And, and you'll see in just a minute why it's not. I want us to look first. Let's go back and, and kind of take this verse by verse. And let's look at, let's start with verse 15 really quick. We don't want to overlook verse 15 because it's important. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And you say, well, what does that mean? That seems kind of detached from from what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, Jesus is identifying who the promise is for. What he's about to share with them is for his followers. 
he says it's for those who love him. And Jesus says, not just here, but multiple times in the gospel, the distinguishing factor to identify someone who loves him, who is in Christ, is obedience. The fact that you obey my commands. Jesus is telling them that the promise that he's about to give is for them because they love him, because they have been called by him, because they are following him. And, and so this promise in verse 15 reaches beyond just those 12 and those, and those few who were following after him. That reaches into today. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commands, that's also a promise for us. He's saying that, that this promise, this gift that I'm about to tell you about that the Father is going to send, it, it's for all who love me and for all who are called according to my purpose, all who have embraced the gospel. Um, and he says, if you love me. And, and the gospel, if we understand the gospel, we know that the only way to really love Jesus, to perfectly love Jesus, um, is, is through salvation. The reality is we can't love Jesus the way Jesus says we should. We can't love God the way the law says we should love God. And we have to admit that we can't. And we understand that we can't be in a love relationship with Jesus and with God based on what we do. It's all because of what he's done, what he's done on the cross. And the promise that he's about to share is for believers who are followers of Jesus, the ones whose lives are marked with love and obedience. And that love and obedience is given to us. And so it's not that we earn salvation because of our love and obedience. Um, we, we obey because he gives us the power to obey because of the relationship we have with him. So, so verse 15 is simply Jesus identifying that this is a promise for a specific group of people. It's not, it's not for everybody. Uh, it's not something that everybody experiences, and we're going to see that also here in just a minute. So let's let's look at verse sixteen. This is where it gets it gets really uh, really meaty. Okay, Jesus said, "And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever." Now there that one verse. There's so much packed into that verse. So so let's see if we can unpack it. Uh, together. At the beginning, first thing Jesus says is, I will ask the Father and he will give. We said before, even though Jesus and the Father are one, they're, they're co-equal in power, in unity, in divinity, Jesus in his earthly ministry demonstrated a perfect submission, a perfect obedience to the Father. And this is another indication of the fact that, that he and the Father are bringing this gift together. The Father is going to provide the gift. And, and Jesus, the Son, is placing himself under the submission of the Father. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to send you the Spirit. He says, the Father, I'm going to ask the Father to do this. And he's going to send the Spirit. Because Jesus, for the disciples, he, he served as their high priest, the same way he serves as our high priest today. He was their advocate before the Father. 
And so in his absence, he's about to leave. So he says, I'm going to give you another counselor. And that phrase is really, really important. And I want us to look at, at both those words. Um, first, that word counselor is a Greek word. Um, and it's pronounced parakletos. Parateklos. Um, I think I said that right. <laughs> um, and that word has so many descriptors. Uh, it's the word often used for the Holy Spirit. And the, and the word that Jesus uses there for, for counselor in that verse literally means one that's called alongside to help. And there's so many connotations wrapped up in this word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. It, it, that word carries the connotation of a helper, a comforter, a counselor, an encourager, a, an intercessor, and an advocate. And when we say advocate, it, it carries the sense of, of almost like a defense attorney, like the way an attorney is our advocate in a courtroom. Jesus says the, 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 the parakletos is, is all of those things. Uh, wrapped up um, in that word, that the Holy Spirit plays all of those functions for us. And these are all roles that Jesus played in their lives when he was with them. And he knows that he's not always going to be with them. So he says the Father is going to send another parakletos. He's going to send another helper, another counselor, another advocate to be with them. And, and then there's another promise after that. But there's, a, there's another word that's, that's really important in this verse. And it's the word another. He says, he will give you another counselor to be with you. Um, and, and we'll miss this in English. If you, if this is one of those things, you know, throwing out Greek words sometimes is beneficial. Sometimes it, it just confuses us more. But in this case, it's, it's a really important thing to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. Um, we know, and I've shared with you before, that, that in the Greek language, the Greek language is much deeper than English. And there are many times that there are numerous Greek words that, that English only has one word for. Love is, is one of those examples. We know that there are um, about four different kinds of Greek words, four different words that describe love that we, we translate all of them as the same English word love. In this verse, there are two Greek words that we translate another. And, but they're two different words in the Greek and they mean two different things. One means another of the same kind, and the other Greek word means another of a completely different kind. Um, and to try to help you understand the difference, we, we use the word another the same way. We just, we just use the same word um, in both things, but we mean two different things. Here's an example. Um, uh, the, I'll you go back to my Oreo cookie example, okay? <laughs> um, if I were to say to Kim, um, I want another Oreo. Like, the Oreos are in the kitchen. Can you grab me another Oreo? 
What I'm talking about is I want the same cookie that I've been eating. Okay. Say so I've been eating Oreos. I want another one. Means that, that I want the same one. Now, if I go to the grocery store, and like we've talked about before, there's all these wacky, crazy flavors of Oreos. If I come home and say to Kim, they have made another Oreo. I'm talking about another as in a completely different kind. Okay? So, in one context, I use the word another. It means I want the, the same kind. But in another context, I'll use the word another. They've made another one. That means I'm talking about one that's completely different from this kind. So in, in the Greek, those are two different words. But in English, it's one word. So when Jesus says here, he will give you another counselor. He's using the Greek word that means another of the exact same kind. So this is huge. This is, a, this is a big deal because what this means is the Father is going to send a comforter, an advocate, a helper that would be exactly like Jesus. All of the roles that Jesus played in the lives of the disciples, God the Father was going to send another counselor, another comforter, another advocate to fill that role perfectly and completely, just as Jesus did. He says another, he means the same kind. All the things that Jesus did for them in the flesh, the Holy Spirit would also do for them in the same way. And there's no downgrade. Okay, we got to understand that. There's no, like, here's Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to be like a smaller, uh, watered-down, less powerful version of Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm, the Father's going to send another just like me of the same kind to continue to do everything that I am doing with you and for you right now. But the Spirit is going to come. Instead of it being in the flesh, the Spirit is going to come and provide all of those same things for you. But he's going to do it in spirit, and he's going to do it just like Jesus. And then he says, I'm, he's going to send another counselor to be with you forever. So unlike Jesus, Jesus knows that his time with them is temporary. And in the scheme of, of history, it's very, very short. But he says, even though I'm going to leave you, the Father's going to send another who is going to perfectly fulfill the role that I've played in your life, and he's never going to leave. He's going to be with you forever for, for the rest of your life, and he's never, ever going to leave. And the Holy Spirit does the very same thing for us as well. Um, I think sometimes we as Christians mistakenly think of the Holy Spirit as like a third-string God. We, we think of God the Father as like uh, the biggest, most powerful. And then, and then Jesus maybe is right underneath him. And then the Holy Spirit is underneath him. And, and, and I think somehow it's unintentional, but somehow in our minds we think that, that one just kind of falls underneath the other one and that there's a downgrade almost each time 
um, that it goes, it, it, that we step below, that the spirit is a step below Jesus and that Jesus maybe is a step below the Father, but that's absolutely not true and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit would fill every need and role that he played in their lives, just like Jesus did. And for us, the Spirit is not just a part of God. He's not a, a fraction of the Father and the Son. It's not as if the Father is one-third of God and the Son is one-third of God and the Spirit is one-third of God. The Holy Spirit is fully divine just the same way that Jesus was fully divine. Because Jesus said what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So Jesus was identifying himself completely equal in divinity and power with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so here in this text, he's saying the Father is going to send another of the same kind as me. He's going to do everything that I do. The Holy Spirit is equal in power and divinity with Jesus. Jesus equal in power with Father. And all three combined together as the one triune Godhead. Like it's a it's a it's a powerful thing for us to realize. And then once we realize that about the Holy Spirit, to realize that once we put our faith in him, that Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about here dwells in every believer. And that dwelling and that presence is, as he says at the end of verse 16, it is forever. He's not going to leave. Now, let's look at verse 17. Another really important part. Jesus said, he, talking about the, the spirit, this parakletos that would come. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him. Why? Because he remains with you and will be in you. He is the spirit of truth. And so Jesus says he is going to reveal truth to you. And this is really important for that time and place because the Father, the Holy Spirit, is going to use these men to be the, the ones. He's going to use some of them. He's going to use the apostles. He's going to use Paul later to inspire the writing of the scriptures. But so he's going to be the spirit of truth that reveals the revelation of God to them so that they can write the scriptures. But he plays that same role in our lives. He is the spirit of truth for us. And, and we're going to see in this series how um, the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures. And it's through the spirit that we're able to understand the truth about God and who Christ is because we read the scripture. The spirit is the author of the scriptures that we read. And so that's why as believers, because the Spirit is in us, when we read the Scriptures, we understand it. And Jesus is saying in verse 17, the world's unable to receive him because it couldn't see him or know him. That it's not for everybody. The whole world isn't going to read and understand the truth of God without the Spirit. Spiritual things have to be understood and discerned 
through the Spirit. And the reason we as believers can read the Scriptures and it makes sense to us is because we have the author of the Scriptures living in us. And he teaches us. He's that Spirit of truth that Jesus is talking about in verse 17. He helps us understand what is true. But that comes only after we've been made sons and daughters of God through salvation, through our faith in Jesus. Um, the world in that day had rejected Jesus. And Jesus says they're unable to see the Spirit. They can't know the Spirit because of their rejection. And the same is true today. Uh, we shouldn't be angry with non-believers because they don't understand the things of God the way we do because Jesus says here and Paul is going to say we're going to see later in this series Paul is going to say there's no way for them to understand it unless the spirit reveals it to them and those who live without the spirit can't see spiritual truth but yet you say well doesn't that kind of make spiritual things about Christianity, doesn't that kind of make it cryptic and secret? No, because the Spirit is available for everyone. That relationship that comes and 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 the it results in the Spirit coming to live in us, that that salvation, that gospel is available for everybody. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who trusts him as Lord and Savior can have the spirit can is immediately given the spirit and then and then they're able to see and understand and we'll also see in this series how the holy spirit what his role is and how he convicts and brings lost people to understand and embrace the gospel but then i want us to quickly look at the end of verse 17 here in contrast to the world jesus says to his disciples you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, I want you to notice something about that last phrase that Jesus says. He didn't say that the Spirit would remain. He says the Spirit remains. He doesn't, he doesn't use a future tense there. He uses a present tense. And, and we know that the Holy Spirit is going to come at Pentecost. And he's going to come in a way that's visible to everybody. But the presence of the Holy Spirit has been around forever. The presence of the Holy Spirit was with the believers even in the Old Testament. And we can see the work of the Spirit in the prophets. We can see the work of the Spirit in in the the early the early church fathers the in in old testament times we see how he worked the spirit was with them but jesus goes even so so it's not that the holy spirit didn't didn't come didn't come to be until after pentecost he's always been and his and his presence has been with believers Old Testament and New Testament. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, because he remains with you. He's saying right now he is with you. But look at what he says later. He says right now he's with you and he will be in you. That's different. 
Jesus is saying right now, you you are experiencing the presence of the Spirit, and He is with you. But but there's going to come a time after I leave that it's not just going to be that the Spirit is with you, but He will be future tense in you. He's talking about the indwelling of the Spirit. That's what happened at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came and they received the Holy Spirit, he, he, he went from being with them to being in them. And so Jesus is making this promise to them, even here in John 14. He says, the Spirit's with you, but one day he's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that has happened for us. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is with us. He is in us. And so there is the name and the title for this sermon series, God in You. That's what the Holy Spirit is. If you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus as Lord. He's not just with you anymore, but he's in you. And he's not just the third string God. He's not just a partial representation of who God is. And he's in you, but he is another person of the Trinity. That one whole triune God that is equal with the Father, equal with the Son. That's the spirit that lives in you as a believer. And I don't know that we live in the full awareness of that from day to day. Um, I think that we as Christians have become really good at quenching the work of the Spirit in our life. We, we, we kind of muffle the voice of the Spirit and, and His influence in our lives. Though He is in us, uh, we've, we've kind of relegated Him almost to an impersonal force. And lots of people have this concept of the Holy Spirit that He is like the force in Star Wars. And people like to compare the force to the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm as big a Star Wars nerd as anybody, but, but the Holy Spirit is, n is nothing like the Force. The Force is impersonal. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit is so personal. Um, the Holy Spirit exhibits and contains the full personality of God and the full divinity of God. And a human life just think about what you've been given. A human life indwelt by the fullness of God. Okay? The, the Holy Spirit is not a watered-down version of God. He is the fullness of God. And Jesus says, He will be in you. If you love me, if you keep my commands, if, if, if the fruit of the Spirit comes out of your life and shows that you've really experienced a, a, a relationship, a salvation in me, that fullness of God is going to be in you. I, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but that, that is a crazy thing to think about. And I'm, I'm afraid that we have relegated it to, uh, relegated him the Holy Spirit, to a force. And that's why we call him an it so often. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. He is a, a person of the Trinity, just like the Father and just like the Son. And here's the thing, folks. 
a human life that is indwelt with the, with the fullness of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, it's going to look different. A life with God in you is going to look different. We're going to think different. We're going to live differently. We're going to speak differently. And we're supposed to. The life without the Spirit in them is going to look way different than the Spirit, than a life of the Spirit in them. So, as we go into this sermon series, um, I hope that if you're a believer, that that you'll get to know the Holy Spirit in a deeper way. That you'll that that this series will open your eyes to the reality of who He is in your life and the potential of of just how um, great your your connection with him can be and, and what his role is supposed to be in our life. I hope that you'll experience his presence in your life more. But I understand that for some of us, this series is not going to confirm, th this series is either going to confirm the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life or it's going to confirm the absence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The more we study together, the more you're going to realize whether he really is in you or if he's not. And I pray that, that if he is, that it will be uh, an eye-opening confirmation of, of who he is in your life and, and the role that he is to play in our lives. But I also pray that, that if this series reveals to you that, that there's an absence of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? It's not if you pray to prayer. It's not if you go to church. You know that you're saved when the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so through this series, if you come to realize, I, I don't experience any of that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I know that the Holy Spirit is not in me. He may be with me. He may be around me and he may be in other people, but he's not in me. I pray that if, that if he reveals that to you through this series, that you will surrender to the cross. That you'll allow him to draw you into a relationship with God through Jesus' work on the cross, through your faith and your trust in him.